Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, how's everybody doing today at all of our different locations? So good to see you. Uh, Today is a very special day for the first time ever in the history of The Crossing. We are broadcasting from a location that is not our 48th Street location with the hopes that we'll get the opportunity to do this more in the future. So I would like our Hannibal people to say a big hello to all of our other locations. Let them know you're here. It's gonna be a great day. It's gonna be so good. They've already promised to help me preach this message, so I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's happening in your life, but I believe that today could make a difference. I believe that today could matter. I entitled this message, Pictures of Faithfulness. At all of our locations say, Pictures of Faithfulness. I don't know what your COVID schedule has looked like, but when we first were told we had to stay home, we decided to be productive at Casa de Hensel. And we went through all the kitchen cabinets and got rid of the things that we don't need. And then we cleaned off the countertops. Then we went through the closets and uh, I had to get rid of a bunch of things that, I'm a guy who keeps clothes and I like get excited about when I bought it when I was a freshman in high school and that it still fits. Some of those, yeah, preach, that's right, preach means I was a really fat ninth grader. And so uh, we went through all that. We got underneath the beds, pulled out some of the totes, got some of that stuff taken care of. We even went through the junk drawers. I'm not trying to brag, but I'm just telling you this is what's been happening in our house. Problem is this pandemic keeps hanging around. So uh, we went to the basement. Dear God, yeah. We went down there. And I'm, the fact that I'm here today is just a testimony to God's goodness. Uh, because when we moved from Macomb to Quincy, apparently there was a bunch of really heavy boxes that we uh, didn't sort before we left. And we just loaded them up in totes and had me carry them from the old house to the trailer, from the trailer to the new house down the stairs. So we walked down the basement, we start taking off tote lids. I've hauled out two full trailer loads full of stuff. And I don't know if you've cleaned out your basement or wherever you keep the stuff that you don't really need to keep uh, with your spouse before, but it's created some marital strife. (laughs) Because, Because if she were cleaning it, it would go really, really smooth. And if I were doing it by myself, it would go really, really smooth. But we choose to do it together so we can figure out what we can save and what we can throw away. And that's actually where the fighting takes place. Uh, there was a big fight over the gun cases. Like, do we need to keep the gun cases? And as a, I said, yeah, we're keeping those. Even the junky ones? Yeah, you, never, you can never have enough gun cases. Okay. And then I got pretty frustrated because there's some uh, dishes that we have that we got from our wedding registry 10 years ago that have never been opened. <laughs> yeah, we kept them. We decided to keep those just because they're heavy. And my wife wants me to have something heavy when we move again to carry up the stairs. Uh, There's an entire tote of crossing t-shirts. I know you think you have a lot of crossing t-shirts. If you think you got a bunch of crossing t-shirts, just put your hand up at all of our locations. You've been going to camps, you've been serving. I've got an entire tote that one day I hope somebody will turn into a big quilt 
that I can, you know, it'll, I have enough shirts, you could park three cars on it. Like it could cover a three car garage with all my crossing shirts. Uh, we got into another fight over decorations because I'm of the opinion that when you buy decorations, that's it. You just buy them one time and then Jesus comes back. Like that's when, that's it, that's all you do. I didn't understand that Christmas decorations and other decorations should rotate. That sometimes for Halloween you go from more of like a pumpkin centered theme to more of a squash. These are things I'm learning. And we kept them just so you know, for those of you women who are worried, we kept the pumpkins and the squash set. Yeah, it's, we're pretty regal at the Hensel house. But you know where there was no fight? There was no fight over the pictures. We opened up the tote and we started to go through the pictures and you always keep the pictures. I know I've lost some of you, so let me catch you up. There was a time when you would uh, use a camera and you would take a picture, but you didn't know what you took. You would take it to a place and uh, they would take the film out of it and they would send it away and then a couple weeks you would go, you'd come back and you'd go down and you'd open up this folder and you would go through and you'd actually, and I mean, I'm not trying to freak any of you young people out. You could hold a picture. Yeah. When you wanted to see another one, you went like this. Huh? And then, then sometimes if you wanted to look at it closer, you'd do this. Okay. I know that this, okay. But I mean, old school, like where the cool people hang out, you'd look at pictures. And when you go through pictures, oh my goodness, doesn't it have a way to transport you? You see, you see stuff in your kids that you didn't know was in your kids. Like you realize how much your kids look like you. And that was a pretty tough deal for my family because we found out that one of the kids looks like me. We were both hoping, and I think most of you as well, that our kids were gonna look like my wife. Uh, I don't know if you can see this, but I've had the same size ears since I was like 10 and I have yet to grow into these ears. These are like three and a half inches long. I have to be careful in a windstorm because I can fly, okay? I have to be real careful. Uh, we were going through pictures and you found uh, some stuff, and I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to remember Umbro shorts. How many of you had a pair of Umbro shorts? I don't know if soccer got cool, but we used to rock some pretty cool short Umbro shorts. And then shorts went through this whole deal where they got all the way down to our ankles, and now they're coming back up. I'll be honest with you, I've been, they've been coming up, you know, I've got underwear that's longer than some people's shorts that I've been seeing walking around. I'm like, what? We got a problem here. Yeah, it, it's funny to see some things go out of fashion, come back into fashion, and then go back out of fashion again. Pictures. But pictures do something else to us. They, uh, they seal things in us. There was a huge shift that took place when we went from film to digital, but that was nothing compared to what happened when we started taking pictures with our cameras. Now, when a new phone is released from Apple or Samsung, one of the big parts is the focus on the camera because we wanna capture the moments. This is the phrase that's come out. A mobile picture or the event didn't happen. A camera picture or the event wasn't special. And I don't know about you, but I know for Jennifer and I, when you're going through some of the pictures, even the ones that are on the screen, you get transported. You can smell what it was like where you took the picture. You can hear the sounds. 
Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Timothy, who's overwhelmed, overworked, frustrated, scared, trying to make a difference. It feels like it's uphill both ways. And you know what Paul gives him? He gives him pictures. Pictures of faithfulness. Before he jumps into the pictures, Paul tells Timothy, starts to talk to Timothy and he reminds him of how he came to Christ. This is what it says in 2 Timothy chapter one. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy was brought to faith by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. There was not a male father figure who was spiritual in his life. Timothy's father was a Greek Gentile. He was not a Jew. He was not a Christ follower. He was not a God follower. Timothy found Jesus because of the faithfulness of his mom and his grandma. Before I even get into the message, to all the single mothers who are worried and weary, to all of the single mothers wondering if your example is enough, at all of our locations, to all the grandmothers and grandfathers who swing by in the morning on Sunday to pick up your kids or you have your grandkids sleep over on Saturday nights so you can bring them to church with you on Sunday, I have a word for you. Take heart. God sees your dedication and he fills in the gaps. Keep living out your faith in front of your kids, in front of your grandkids. Keep putting them in spiritual environments where other godly men can come alongside of you. I want you to know that our church is with you in this endeavor. Don't give up. They raised a brilliant follower of Jesus Christ who was the lead pastor of a major city even when he was young and it was because of the faithfulness of his mom and his grandma. Ladies, take heart. After he gets done telling him how he came to Christ, then he reminds him of how he was equipped in Christ. Look what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses six and seven. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You were not given a spirit of timidity. You were not given the gift of being a coward. You were given a gift of power, love, and self-discipline. Here's what that means. You have been given the gift of power, power to stand up and power to take a stand. You've been given power to make a difference and power to make a change. You've been given power to be an example and you've been given the power to be a light. When you look out at the world and you don't like what you see, I want you to know you have the power from God on high to bring about change. You are also not just given power, but you are given power to love. Power to love those who hurt you, power to love those who have wronged you, Power to love those who disgust you. Power to love those who disagree with you. This is so good. You were not just commanded by God to love. You were actually equipped 
by God to love. He did not call you to something that he did not equip you for. You're like, how in the world am I gonna love my enemies? Because God calls me to love my enemies. It's because you've been given a spirit that allows you to love your enemies. You've been given a spirit of self-discipline. Here's what that means. The ability for you to say no to destructive behavior. Some of you are like, I just can't make that change. That's not true. The Spirit of God gives you the ability to say no to destructive behavior, the ability to say yes to a godly life, the ability to say no to the things of this world, and the ability to say yes to the king, things of the kingdom. But hear me, your gift, your gift is never neutral. You are either fanning it into flame or you are smothering it out. We have these plants at our house and I was told a couple years ago that the only way you deal with these plants is uh, late fall, early winter, you go out and you uh, burn them. The uh, only, there's really two challenges. One, it's sometimes pretty hard to get them to get going, uh, get the fire going. And the second issue is that one of the plants is located uh, next to where we park one of our vehicles and the other one is uh, located next to our gas main. So when you light them on fire, you really gotta make sure that you're right with the Lord. And it would take me a while to get them going. And so what I would do is I would go out and I would take my hose and I would uh, hose off the car just in case it got, you know, scary. If you go by my house right now, my mailbox is charred because it, it got out of hand last time. And uh, actually the mailbox doesn't close. We kind of melted it. And, uh, uh, but, but the problem was I'd get so frustrated trying to get the, the fire to go. Well, I've, I've figured, I found out a, a hack for that, quick hack, a little propane torch and a leaf blower, and you can take a small flame and really warm her up quick. Now, you have to be careful trying to navigate uh, the flamethrower and the uh, leaf blower because you also have to have uh, somebody keeping water on the gas main in case the flame gets a little too carried away. Come to find out before you guys send me the emails, you can't just cut them off. Nobody told me that. So this year we're just gonna cut them off, okay? Uh, so in case you guys are worried about me blowing up my house, uh, I'll find another way to endanger ourselves. But that's how, you, here's the deal. How many of you wonder sometimes why you're uh, not as on fire as you were when you first got baptized? How many of you remember how charged up you were to make a difference and for all of your friends to know Jesus? Do you remember that? Question, have you been fanning it into flame? Are you doing the things you used to do or have you been? Have you been smothering it? Paul looks out to Timothy and he says, fan it into flame. And it's not just because of how it's gonna impact Timothy, it's about how it's gonna impact all the people around Timothy. And then he gives him the first picture that of a teacher. Second Timothy chapter two, verse two says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. At all of our locations say others, others. This is not just about teaching people, but teaching people with the expectation that they will in turn teach others, that the gospel was never supposed to come just to you, it was supposed to go through you into the lives of others. That's exactly 
right. And you can, tr you can trace me on this stage, in this moment, talking to you, all the way back to an unbroken chain from me in this moment, to Paul talking to Timothy, to Jesus talking to his disciples. It is an unbroken chain. The question is, what about the links in the chain tomorrow? Each generation is tasked with reaching their generation and the generation coming after them. And I don't know about you, but I have heard a lot of people talk as they look out the window of their lives and they see a world that they don't like as much anymore. They don't like the way the world behaves anymore. They don't like what, the, what they see, how they, what they believe anymore. Uh, maybe you know somebody who's frustrated with what they're seeing in the world. I, man, I, I'm right there, I, I get it, but I see some of the way that people are responding to that is uh, hating what they see in the world and hating the people who are behaving that way in the world, but I wanna tell you something, you cannot reach that which you hate. And you and I are called to reach this world, not run from it. We're called to reach this generation. And the generation that we see acting a fool, just so you know, is the generation that we raised. What? I've also noticed that it seems like sometimes the people who are the most frustrated with the condition of the world have also reached the least amount of people? Like who's the list of people that you baptized? Who's the list of people that you had over the house and taught them the things of God? You know what I've noticed? Lost people tend to act like uh, lost people. Unbelievers have a tendency of acting like unbelieving people. So maybe instead of getting frustrated at what they believe and how they behave, how about I teach them the ways of Jesus? Become winsome in such a way where I can actually sit across the table from them. I wanna be a part of a church and I think, I think you do too, that wants to make sure that the link that we were responsible for is rock solid that we do everything in our power to reach our generation and the generation coming after me. And it's not gonna take a couple of us, it's gonna take all of us to do our part. The second picture that he gives him is that of a soldier. Second Timothy chapter two says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding Officer, every single one of us are called to share in the suffering. Being in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've heard me say this before, should cost you. It's gonna cost you time, it's gonna cost you money, it's gonna cost you some of your freedoms because you're gonna make Jesus Christ your God and that means that you're gonna sacrifice other things on the altar to him. And he says, Share in the suffering. Be a good soldier. A soldier signs up to suffer. That's what we like about him. That's what we love about him. When you see a man or woman in uniform 
and they walk past you or you see a, a group of them get off an airplane at an airport, you can't help but stand a little taller, talk a little softer, stop what you're doing and just watch. Sometimes the quietness turns into applause because there is this thankfulness for what they do, what they have surrendered to so they could suffer for you and me. A soldier signs up for suffering. You're not a soldier from nine to five. You don't get a 40, 50, or 60 hour work week. You sign up for war. You sign up to, for 24 hours a day to go wherever you're deployed and to do whatever you're called to do. And when the time comes, they are to embrace dangerous situations. They are called to put their very lives on the line without question or hesitation. And when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we come into an intimate personal relationship with him, we are signing up to be deployed wherever he wants us to go and to do whatever he wants us to do. We are to obey and please our commanding officer to do whatever he wants us to do. And he says, don't get entangled in civilian affairs. Literally, the word means don't get weaved. I don't know how many of you guys are big into basket weaving, but literally, don't get weaved into civilian affairs. There are so many good things for us to do, so many good things for us to be a part of, but don't let those things get woven into you and keep you from doing the things that God called you to do. This is where sometimes we take the pot shot at all the people who are doing travel baseball or all the people who are part of band or choir, or theater, or whatever it is that you do, but there's all sorts of other places. Where have you found yourself entangled? Maybe your job pays you so much you've become entangled in it and you can't leave it to spend more time with your family. You were called to be a husband and a father. You were never called to be a CEO. Have you been entangled? Has stuff been accidentally, with good intentions, weaved into your life that was never supposed to be there? That's why when we send our military men and women off to war, we deploy them so that they are free from civilian entanglements and they can fully devote themselves to a cause. I wonder how many of you, your political view has become entangled. I wonder how many of you, your view of the economy has got you entangled. He gives them a third picture. The third picture is that of an athlete. Second Timothy chapter two, verse five says, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. In the Greek games, which is what Paul is referencing, there were three uh, qualifications and three promises that the athlete would make. They would stand in front of a statue of the, of the Greek god Zeus, and they would say three things. One, I am a Greek citizen, which is how you were qualified to participate in the games. You had to be Greek. Second thing, I have trained for at least 10 months in the event I'm about to compete in. They had to prove that they had applied themselves before they had to perform. And then the third qualification is that they had to agree to abide by the rules of the game. They made all three of these promises in front of the statue of Zeus. Similarly, crazy thing, 
we actually do the same thing in our relationship with God. We stand before God, and you can't live the Christian life before you're a Christian, so the first thing we do is a qualification of citizenship. We go, I am a son or daughter of the Most High God. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And then we have put ourselves, hopefully you and I, we have put ourselves, submitted ourselves to training where we spend time in God's word and careful study and obedience to God's word in self-denial and prayer and love. We have tested and worked and improved and become the things that God is calling us to do. And then we live according to God's divine standards. We play the game according to the rules of the game. But we right now, we're living in a time where athletes are competing and winning by ignoring the rules, abandoning the rules. I mean, I'm old enough to remember Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. I I remember Deflategate, Spygate, for those of you who are Patriot fans, you guys got two on my list. How about Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco? How about Lance Armstrong? It seems like a lot of people you looked up to, there's an asterisk by their name now. Because they didn't compete according to the rules. Oh man, maybe, listen, maybe the reason why the world doesn't necessarily like our witness so much is because they've been looking at you and they've been looking at me and they put an asterisk by our name. When there's a person who's not competing by the rules, our unapologetic hypocrisy has turned them off to who we believe. There's no shortcuts with God. You're not pulling the wool over his eyes. The Bible says that everything is gonna be laid bare before him to whom we have to give an account. So you can fool me and you can fool your wife and you can fool your coworkers, but hear me, you can't fool him. So at some point in time, you and I, we gotta take our desire to follow God seriously and actually be the light. The next picture he gives is that of a farmer. The farmer one's interesting because the hardworking, he says this in 2 Timothy chapter two, verse six. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Now, while teachers get to experience the light bulb moment going off in their students' eyes, while the uh, soldier gets to experience camaraderie and the thrill of battle, while the athlete gets to enjoy the thunderous applause of all the spectators, the farmer does so much of his work in solitude and secrecy. In our culture, we often think of farmers and it's synonymous with hard workers. They just get up and they just work from sunup till sundown. When it's time to plant, they plant. When it's time to spray, they spray. When it's time to fertilize, they fertilize. And then when it becomes time to harvest, they harvest. And then when they're done harvesting, they start doing prep work. It never stops. Day after day, they continue to put in the work to do the hard, forgotten, unappreciated work. So at the proper time, there is a harvest. There's no immediate results for the farmer. He works day in and day out, believing that something is going to come. He plants, hoping that one day he gets to turn on the combine. He sprays, hoping that one day the crop is good. He goes out and he fertilizes, hoping that the crop will come in and it will be better so that way when he turns the combine and he runs it into, into the mill, everything is going well. But he does day after day after day for 
what he believes will be a harvest. And how many of us in our relationship with Jesus Christ could take a little lesson from the farmer? We wanna wake up tomorrow and reap a harvest on, sowed we never, on seed we never sowed. You wanna have one tough conversation with your kid and everything turn around. There's no wealthy farmers farming that way. You gotta put in the work. And the harvest that we get is when we finally get to see the face of God and the faces of all the people that we brought to heaven with us. The last picture is that of a workman. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That we're a workman who shouldn't be ashamed of our work. Have you ever hired anybody out to do some work at your house? Oh, Jennifer and I right now, you know, wrecked the roof was over, so we redeployed some of our wrecked the roof money to fix the bathrooms that have been broke. And so we've got plumbers in the house right now. And we keep calling them back. And uh, I don't know jack about plumbing, or drywall for that matter, but that doesn't stop me from walking up the stairs. How we doing, fellas? Yeah, you think that that seam right there is the way we want it? Think we maybe need to tighten that up a little bit? Maybe add some, uh, some uh, spacers? And we're gonna mud that joint, are we gonna use some uh, tape? We can do a tape joint on that thing, or maybe get a metal corner bead. I looked up some stuff on Google last night, just got some new vocab. How are we gonna be blending that? Are we gonna be sanding that with 8120? What are we doing here? And uh, when it doesn't work out, we call them uh, back. Now, right now, I don't think they like us, but we're gonna keep bringing them back until they agree to go to church with us. So that's how we're kind of playing the game, okay? We're gonna, trust me, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna get them to come to church. Now, now, I go up there because my wife went up there first. And she's like, I don't like the way that that bathroom seam looks. So I'm like, all right. Hey, fellas, uh, I've, been I've been looking at that. Not her, I've been looking at it, and I'm seeing that, and those guys have to stand by their work. They're good guys, but they have to stand by it. Well, when I was in high school, my parents uh, uh, got one of my high school friends to come over and take care of my younger siblings and do some housework so I could do all the chores that my dad had, and one of the things that was on her list of things to do was to, uh, to mow. Do you remember the first time you sent your kids out to mow? They thought that they could do it. And then you walk outside. Dear God, son, are you blind? You, you mowed the neighbor's yard. Get, get over here. Get over here. Her name was Lisa. And uh, I don't, she might go to our church and kick it now. Lisa mowed for three hours at my parents' house and didn't turn the mower on. She was just out there just driving away taken in the race, came in to get a glass of water, pretty excited about herself. Whoo, mowing's a lot of fun. I'm like, really, you should try it. I mean, you haven't even done it yet. You just drove a tractor around. How, how many of us, okay, everybody's laughing, but let me get mean. How many of us have never actually turned on the PTO? How many of us, when we're living our Christian life, we're not a workman? who's not ashamed, who understands the word of God and who correctly handles the truth and lives their life according to it. I wonder how many times you've been called into a non-Christian's life to do some work.
And they called you up the stairs and they go, that scene doesn't look right. I wonder how many times you've been called over to a non-Christian's house to interact with them at a ball game or to hang out and go on a vacation with them and you've been spending time with a non-Christian. And they're going, that doesn't add up. A workman, you and I are called. Now, I get it, I get it, I get it. We're failures, we're not Jesus, I get it. But I need you to understand that we have the Holy Spirit, God himself working inside of us. I think we can do better here. Well, how do we do all of this? Well, this is what it says. In 2 Timothy chapter three, all scripture, everybody say all. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Say useful. All scripture, all of it, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's, that's us, you and me, may be, say that word, thoroughly. Thoroughly is a good word, isn't it? If you looked at your spouse and said, I am thoroughly pleased with you, she'd be like, hey, holla, okay? If your wife looked at you and said, I am thoroughly impressed with your outfit, you'd be like, yeah, okay, thoroughly. Check this out. Thoroughly equipped. That means that like in the tool belt, you've got all the tools. You've got everything you need. You're not just a hammer Christian, but you've got a framing square, you've got a tape measure, you've got, oh yeah, you can tell projects are happening around my house, I'm learning things, right? Thoroughly equipped, I've got all the tools in my tool belt for every good work. That every good thing that God calls you to, if you spend time in God's word, you will be equipped for it. You will find your training, your guide, your promises, your process in the word of God. And perhaps the reason why we struggle to make an impact for the kingdom of God is because we spend so little time in the word of God. But I believe that if you and I do this, we will be able to say what Paul says to Timothy at the very end as he views his life here on earth. 2 Timothy chapter four, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. What I'm wondering right now is if some of you could use a picture of faithfulness. Life's been hard and it's been challenging and you just needed to look at somebody who's gone before you and I'll tell you there's no better picture of faithfulness than Jesus. And there's some of you, it's time for you to become a picture of faithfulness so that people can see in you what you see in Jesus. And would you be willing to go on that journey with me? We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. 
You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.